How to Win the War Within. It's the title of this message. I tell people this, and I, I say it tongue-in-cheek, but I really do mean it, that the vast majority of these messages are for me. It's what God is, is saying to me, and I relate that to you. The word war and all that entails is not something that the vast majority of Americans want anything to do with. And we hate to hear the, the news when we watch the news and we're putting boots on the ground. Well, that means that we're going to put Americans in harm's way. But I know that's what people expect in the military, and that's, that's why they're there. They, and I have great admiration for the military. But as far as war, many of you maybe haven't been touched by it. It's kind of crazy, it seems, as life goes on in history, and I'm hearing these rumors, if you will, that in high school they're going to start talking about World War II, and I think that's a tragedy. All the people that gave their lives that the world might be free. But anyhow, you know about war. Like I said, you've been touched. Frank and Diana's family's been touched. They lost their brother in Vietnam, and many of you probably have lost people. Here's another issue about the word war. It always accompanies words like this. Death, destruction, suffering, torture, maimed, maiming, great sadness, loss, grief, all stages of grief, actually. So when we mention the word war and all that comes with it, it opens this Pandora's box of ills upon the world. But the fact is this. If you are a professing follower of Christ, you are presently at this very moment at war, whether you actually realize it or not. And I pray that you do realize that. We are locked in a life and death struggle between the forces of good and evil, between light and darkness inside of us. And not only do we struggle ourselves to keep in the light that Christ wants us to be in, we struggle for the souls of men and women and boys and girls around us that without Christ will die and go to a burning hell. And that's our responsibility to reach them. As Fedor Mikhailovich Dostoevsky says in the Brothers Karamazov, God and the devil are fighting there, and the, back, the battleground is the human heart. Battleground, human heart. Who are the combatants, our old nature, and our new nature. What's the cause of the war? It's for control. For whoever controls the heart controls the person. And the source of the conflict is this control. And each combatant has its own battle plan, its own agenda, its own strategy. The old nature, the flesh, is what we all inherited from Adam. We are born with it. It loves to sin which is like mud to a pig. That's why I mentioned that. It makes so much sense to me. So the world through Satan loves to create mud holes especially for you. They are all around you every day of your life. He creates these mud holes that really appeal to us, that old sin for nature, which, again, it's, it's like a pig. The, the old nature wants us to get into that mud and wallow around. And it's like I talked last week about sin. And, and we have a tendency sometimes to get muddy because all the time our enemy's whispering, God will forgive you. Go ahead. But we all know that the consequences of getting out of a mud hole, that mud sticks in our ears and stays with us. Some of it we can't get rid of. There are consequences to that. But this is what the devil does. And these are around us 24-7. But most of us, I think, this morning climbed out of the mud to come to Christ, if you remember that. So 
The new nature, which God gave us at the moment we trusted in Christ, has the whole indwelling Holy Spirit as a guide who constantly wages war against our old fallen nature, working constantly to make us like Jesus. He wipes off that mud and makes us spotless before the Father. Paul talks explicitly about our war within. Do you know why? Because he fought it, just like I do, just like you do daily. Romans 7, 14 through 25. The law is good then. The trouble is not with the law, but with me. He, he's bought that fact that it's his responsibility because I am sold into slavery with sin as my master. I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Does it sound familiar to you? Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong, and my bad conscience shows that I agree that the law is good, but I can't help myself because it is sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. He is aware of the sin that's inside him. I know I am rotten through and through, so as far as my old sinful nature is concerned, no matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. But if I am doing what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. The sin within me is doing it. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. This law wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? And here's the answer. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Verse 14, the law is good. Then the trouble is not with the law, but with me, because I am sold into slavery with sin as my master. Here's a question that is a conundrum. It's a riddle. It's wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma that begs for an answer. And the question is this, how can we be free from sin and yet continue to do wrong? In Christ, we are free from the penalty of sin, which is judgment. And the power of sin, which is hopelessness. But while still in the flesh, we are not free from the presence of sin, which are temptations. And the possibility of sin, which are failures. Paul never claimed that under grace, instead of law, that it would mean that we could live above the law, that, that God would build this perfect bubble over us and all the temptations of the world would be kept out, that we'd never be tempted, that we could walk this earth and never have a temptation, but just walk in the peace of God. Well, he didn't do that. In fact, having such a great distance between the law and sin, Paul realized that he was still far more acquainted with the reality of sin than he was with the righteous standard of the law. He knew more about sin. He'd done more sinning than he'd done being righteous. Being under grace does not eliminate the law. It changes the purpose of the law in our life from a source of judgment to a source of guidance, from an unattainable moral standard of our of our judge to a character study of the one who loves us, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul writes, the law is spiritual, pneumatikos in the Greek, but I am unspiritual, sarkanos, of the flesh. I am carnal. I have of this earth. This body is from this earth. 
And as such, he can write, sold as a slave to sin. Expression literally means being sold under sin. It's like saying given, being given over to slavery. At one time, sin was tyrannical in Paul's life. The law has an uncanny capacity for reminding us of what we once were and how captivating that old life can still appear because we still remember the mud. Our hope never ships back to the law. It should daily focus on Christ 24-7. Paul said in chapter 7, verse 15, I do not understand. I do not know what I want. I not, do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. By introducing this personal dilemma, Paul invites us to consider how well we understand our own behavior. Do you understand your own behavior? Have you ever said, man, I can't believe I said that. With me, it's on a weekly basis. Or, I can't believe I did that. You just, you just act it out, and then you, you're kind of kicking yourself, actually. I don't know how many of us husbands have any words that, after they're said, that Man, we wish you could take them back. Am I the only one? God bless you. I appreciate that, Josh. Oh, one, one other honest guy in the whole stinking room. That's pretty sad. But anyhow, man, oh man, when it's, when it's out there, I, I want it back, but it's not coming back. And of course, all of our gracious wives, they take it in stride and never upset them, right? <laughs> what planet are you from? <laughs> you know what I'm saying. God bless you. And Diane's home with Jude, and she texted me and wants me to bring her power cord, so hopefully her computer's not working, so she's not watching this. So we will see. See, that's the problem. That's the problem with me. I just talked about not saying stuff, and then it comes, it comes out. Here's the deal. As long as believers live in this world as men and women of flesh and blood, they will face a constant tension the conflict between the sinful nature and their new spiritual life. Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 5.17, The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. In chapter 7, verse 6 of Romans, Paul talks about the same thing. Paul described conversion as being released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the spirit. And this new way of the Spirit is not compulsory. God does not make us do those kind of... He, he doesn't make us do things. It's not compulsory being in the Spirit, trying to learn about God, trying to be in Christ. But the longer we are in this way, the clearer we see its necessity to live in God's Spirit. We see life goes better when we do it. This growing awareness of, is itself a work of God's Spirit. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose, Philippians 2.13. So Paul, he learned some lessons in this because this is a major struggle for him. Man, oh man, I want to live for Christ. I want to do this and I want to do that, but I don't. I, 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 I keep doing, I keep saying the things that I don't want to say. What, what, what am I going to do? But he, he learned three lessons in that. And the first lesson is this. Knowledge is not the answer. You can learn all you want. So, so, Chapter 7 of Romans, verse 9, talks about that. Paul felt fine as long as he did not understand what the law demanded. But when he learned the truth, he knew he was doomed. So that, that knowledge didn't set him free. Number two, second lesson he learned, self-determination. Struggling in one's own strength does not succeed. You can struggle all you want on your own, and you're not going to succeed to overcome. 
Chapter 7, again, verse 15 of Romans. Paul found himself sinning in ways that weren't even attractive to him. And in the third lesson, he learned becoming a Christian does not stamp out all sin and temptation from a person's life. Chapter 7, 22 through 25. Being born again, it starts at the moment of faith, but becoming like Christ takes an entire lifetime. It's a continual setting ourselves apart from the world and the mud that it offers us. Hopefully, as we mature and learn some things, live with the consequences, the mud won't look so inviting as it did before because you knew it was nice when you was in the mud, but when you got out of it, it didn't work out so good. People saw it on you. Paul compares Christian growth to a, a, a strenuous race or a fight. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 You've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs, one wins. Run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. You're after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it and then missing out myself. And then in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have remained faithful. That was right before under Nero's reign, they lopped his head off in Rome. That was, I always like to think that was his last words that he spoke on the face of this earth. Living the life of a true follower of Christ is a blessing. It is a blessing upon blessing upon blessing. But I have come to to grasp, it is the hardest thing I'll do in this life. God asks us to do hard things. This will be the most difficult because of that war within. I, I wish that the kingdom, I, I try to stay upbeat and positive. I love to laugh, but you can't laugh 24-7. You know why? Because life wraps around us. We see people that we love hurting. We feel powerless to do anything about it. That takes the laughter away from me pretty quick. I would like the kingdom to be like a big picnic with no ants <laughs> or a constant party where you're always hooping and hollering and slapping each other on the back. I try to do that as much as possible, but it's not because I'm always brought back to the life with Christ is a war. It's a holy war, if you will. And to win it, you have to be in constant and continual training, which should never, ever stop. It's called sanctification. It's being set apart. It's a continually setting oneself apart from a world that hates you. And only you can do that. No one else can do that. It's like these two natures that we're talking about. We need to quit, we need to quit blaming Satan for stuff. It's on us. If you give in to temptation and sin, that's on you. That's your fault. You cannot blame anybody else, although we love to do it. And on the other hand, in that new nature, we feed that new nature, and it makes it strong. It helps us avoid the mud puddles, if you will. It's like a story I've told a thousand times, probably my favorite story on the old and new nature. Billy Graham said there was an Eskimo in Alaska that had two big dogs, one white, one black. Well, every Saturday, he'd take these dogs into this village and fight them. 
One week, the white one would win, so he'd bring it back, and everybody bring on the white dog, and the next week, the black one would win. So somebody asked him, how do, you, how do you get one to win, not the other? The one I feed is the one that wins. It's the nature that I feed that wins our battles. You feed your old nature on all the crap in the world, all the garbage, and it's gonna, that old nature is going to be strong. And, the, and your new nature, if you never read the Word, if you never pray, if you never hang out with believers, if you never worship God, it's going to be all shriveled up, just being a ball in a fetal position. And that big old bully, that old nature will be able to knock it down every time. And it'll be the one that'll run your life. That's the sad part about it to me. In a spiritual sense, you think about tough people. I, I think Navy SEALs are probably about the toughest in the world. And even though that's tough, I, I think we can draw a correlation between training to be a follower of Christ as they train to be Navy SEALs. From Lone Survivor, this is some, kind of some excerpts, and these are, this is actual footage, actually. Let's, let's watch about SEAL training. Ring the bell three times, put your helmet on the ground, you're done. You've been tested this hard ever in your life. Never. Winning here is a conscious decision. Make up your mind whether you want to pass or choose to fail. All right now, gentlemen, I'm going to introduce y'all to something called not being able to breathe. Andrew, come back. Come back to the light. All this shaking and all this cold, harness it, turn it into aggression. You just prove to your bodies, through your mind, that you can push yourself further than you thought possible. Part of that temptation is whenever you want to quit, you just got to go up, ring the bell, and walk away. Go get a hot shower, get a meal. That'd be part of the temptation. Tim and I, and some of you maybe, was in, we were in the Marine Corps, and man, if there'd have been a bell, I'd have rung it the first hour. <laughs> we didn't have any bell, did we, Tim? 
You got a thumping upside the head, and that was your answer, actually. But I think when I, when I see this, and you, you watch some of that training, Marine Corps boot camp was pretty tough, but it was like church camp compared to that. I mean, it really was. But I, I don't think we can overemphasize the fact of how we should be training in that way in our spiritual lives. It's almost brutal training to me. To what end? Become a Navy SEAL. See air and land. They've got teams everywhere. They're a very elite group. Great accomplishment to receive this, the Trident. I would say I've not really sat down with a Navy SEAL. But I would, I would think this morning that every Navy SEAL would wholeheartedly agree the training, the training was worth it. Especially when they received their first assignment in a hostile environment, they're probably glad they had that training. It's what it was for. Like I said, I wasn't really enthused about uh, boot camp. I probably wouldn't go through it again. But the fact is, I appreciate we have one uh, sergeant that at the end of boot camp, when he was getting ready to graduate, he came in, he sat down with us and he said, I realize that, he said, I realize that it's probably been tough for some of you. And, but he said, here's, here's the point. When you get in combat and somebody tells you to hit the deck, you're going to do it immediately. You're not going to question. You're not going to answer or ask anything. You're going to hit the deck and it, it could save your life. So that, I think that applies to this <laughs> with the word of God. We as followers of Christ need constant training because we live each and every day in a hostile environment with a war raging inside our very hearts and minds. If you don't live in the spirit, you, 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 this war is not bothering you so much because the old nature is running your show. It's when we get closer to Christ is when the crisis occurs and we have to decide what we're going to do. Remember Paul's words here in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. All athletes practice self-control. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I am not like a boxer who misses his punches. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might myself be disqualified. He said, all athletes practice strict self-control. They use discipline to curl their body. Why? So he didn't want to be disqualified. Because if we don't train seriously, our old nature will climb back on the throne of our lives. It'll grab our steering wheel. It'll run the show, and it'll drive us right back into mud. The old nature wants you to do this on Christ and the church. He wants you to quit, throw in the towel. And when the Holy Spirit comes to us during our day and we need to read the Word and study, this is what a lot of times we do. Not doing it today. I'm too busy. Or the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we need to pray for somebody or go see somebody. Sorry, God, not today. I'm too busy. That, that, that's, how, that's how we live our lives sometimes, and it's not right. But in, in a sense, it's the same as ringing the bell. Because if you're not in training spiritually... It's easy to, to, to go back and forth from the world to the mud to the church to the mud to the church. The world is inviting and that appeals to us, the old nature, the flesh, which leads to spiritual death. 
Because if we decide to live not under the power of the new nature, but under the old nature, you don't need self-control. You can do what you want when you want. You can feel what you want when you want. You can say and do anything. It doesn't matter. It's like the world that we live in. We live in a world where relativism has taken over and seeped in every segment of society. And that means you can do what you want when you want. And who are you to tell me that this old ancient book of myths is going to make me do anything? Not, not, not so. I'm going to do what I want when I want. And how dare you tell me the way you think I should be living? So what do we do? <laughs> it's the thing. We speak up as believers, and it doesn't set well. We protest. We protest against God. It's just the fact that there's got to come a time where you make a stance. We don't live under the laws and the rules of relativism as followers of Christ, or we should not. When we see something wrong, we need to speak out in love and, 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 and call a spade a spade, if you will. The sad thing, many followers of Christ resist becoming Christ-like, and pretty much on daily blazes, they ring that bell. But the problem with that, we live with those consequences that we create. That's our fault that we did but we want to blame. We want to blame God and we want to blame others. And a lot of times people will ring that bell and walk away from the church. You know what? That preacher said something I didn't like. It upset me. It's not what I believe, so I, I'm not going back. Or, like I said in the first service, Jay Paget ate this chocolate donut I wanted. I'm mad. I'm not going back to church. That sounds ridiculous, but it's not. You cannot have had, believe the conversations I've had with people that got upset and didn't come back because somebody didn't speak to them. I'm, I'm just telling you how it, how it is. It's bizarre to me. It's immaturity. You can call it what you will, but it is. And sometimes it's an excuse. And it's sometimes because people do not want the Word of God. They do not want the Holy Spirit hounding them to change. So why, why come and hear that every Sunday? That, and feel your heart squeezed or pricked that the Holy Spirit said something to you. If you don't come to church, you probably won't hear that. And that, there it is. Or some people walk away and some people come and they're not going to change because they're set in stone, that they're, they're not moving, they're not budging. So they live miserable lives. And they look around at these other tables and they see people happy. They don't get it. I found out one thing in life. If you're happy a lot, people think there's something wrong with you. That, that's pretty much, that's why I've been introduced to different psychologists and psychiatrists. People have paid for sessions and on and on, you know. So. What's interesting to note with Paul here, when he wrote this letter to the Corinthians about the race and about keeping our eyes on the prize, it was two years before he wrote Romans. So when we read his words here in 1 Corinthians 9, we find Paul, Paul not only preached the gospel message and encouraged the believers to self-discipline and self-denial, he practiced what he preaches. That's the hardest thing of being in ministry or being a leader in the church or being a leader for Christ. You better practice what you preach or you better go home and pack your trash and hit the road. It's not going to work. You, not that you've got to be perfect, but you do have to be aware of your surroundings, what you say, what you do, and what's going on. He too had to live by the gospel, and he too practiced self-denial like the athletes just described. Paul did not run the race aimlessly 
or he wasn't like a boxer that misses his punches. Instead, he kept his eyes focused on the goal, running straight for it with purpose in every step. And his goal was Jesus Christ. He saw life as a stadium. He saw the end. He saw Christ sitting on the beam of seat with his prize in his hand. And that's what he focused on. And that's what he ran for. He, he, he did not allow himself to be sidetracked or become lazy. He pictured life as a battle. Satan seeks to cause us to stumble, to sin, to continue to buffet us with sorrow and pain daily. It's his plan. It's his M.O. Romans 7, 14 through 25 tells us that. But instead of being bound by their bodies, believers must diligently discipline themselves in their Christian lives in order to stay in shape. When Paul said, otherwise I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. He didn't mean that he feared losing his salvation, only that he would be disqualified from the rewards that Christ would have for him. This passage describes spiritual maturation. It's the process, the period of growth during believers' lives on earth when they are living in the world and not of it. So from the time that we accept Christ till your or my death, it's the only time that growth in Christ can occur. Paul wanted to grow diligently and receive a reward from Christ at his return. Paul did not want to be like the person who builds his or her life with shoddy materials only to be saved like someone escaping through a wall of flames, 1 Corinthians 3.15. The builders will be saved, but only as through fire. It's as if they jumped out of a burning building and lost everything but their lives. They will enter heaven, but they will not receive the same reward for those who built well. The judgment seat of Christ the judgment seat of the believers. We are in heaven. We've been, uh, Christ's sin has saved us. We've lived this life. We've left this earth. And on that future day, it's called the Bema seat. We will, be, we will be judged how we lived as followers of Christ. And those who have got rewards, as Paul said, that trained themselves, that lived like Christ wanted, we have, we'll have rewards coming and we'll have things to lay, treasures to lay at Jesus' feet. But those that did nothing is what Paul is saying. I do not want to get to the bema seat of Christ and walk up there and have nothing to offer. I don't want to make it by the skin of my teeth. I know, I know way too many believers that say that. Man, I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want to give my money, but I sure want to go to heaven. I want to make it by the skin of my teeth. Man, that's a dangerous that's a dangerous game to play as far as I'm concerned. But nonetheless, I have had people look me in the eyes and say that. So, beloved, how we live as followers of Christ affects how we will live forever in God's house. We are rewarded in the afterlife for how we lived here as God's children. That's why Paul kept stressing that. As a follower of Christ, to have strict self-control is to learn to say no to your old nature, your old flesh, as it tempts us with Satan's help. Be disciplined. Control yourself and your body. Why? Because it affects how we live in the here and the now and forever. So Paul writes these words to the Corinthians, and he's got it all together. Yeah, I keep, I keep my eyes on Christ. I'm going to train. I'm going to keep my spiritual body in good health. Well, after writing these words about strict self-control and discipline, two years later, Paul writes these words in our text, Romans 7, 15 through 21. I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well 
that what I am doing is wrong and my bad conscience shows that I agree that the law is good, but I can't help myself because it is, a, it is sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. I know I am rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. He's assuming his own responsibility for his life. He's not blaming anybody else. He is putting it on sin, but he knows that's his sin. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. But if I'm doing what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. The sin within me is doing it. It seems to me a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Paul is asking the same question as previously asked, that is, how can we be free from sin and yet continue to do wrong? We'll continue this next week on the second part of this message, how to win the war within. Do you ever feel like Paul? Perhaps you even feel or say or think his same frustrations. Man, I don't understand myself at all. I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. Maybe because of this frustration that you, you have got to that point that you really want to do this with God and the church. You just want to ring a bell and go on about your life. I would beg you to not make that decision. And maybe you've already rung the bell. Maybe you need to be, come back and be reinstated this morning. But nonetheless, what do we do we train, we read the word, we pray, we counsel with other believers, we reach out to each other. We are all at a, in a struggle. We are all in a war. We need to join hands and hearts and do this thing together as a team. I'll guarantee you that SEAL Team 6, they breathed the same air. They were in each other's skin. They knew each what the other one was going to do all the time that they were together on a mission. That is how close that God wants his church to be. And I know we're busy. You, you can't, we just read a schedule of, of what's going on this week. But somehow, in all in the sanity of our lives, we've got to carve, carve out that time to train. Join a small group or start one. You, you, we need each other. I can't, I can't reiterate that enough. It's easier to fight the war as a family, as a close-knit team, and try to do it alone, like the Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger Christians don't do so good. You need Christ this morning, come. You need prayer, be prayed with, come. Again, Paul gives us the answer. Chapter 7, verse 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. How many times you said that? You might have said that this morning already. Who will free me from this life? This is dominated by sin and death. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this morning before you leave this place, you know God forgives sin, our failure, our mistakes. He takes it and puts it in the deepest part of the ocean never to bring it up again. I don't know where you're at with Christ, and I pray this morning with all my heart that we're all, we're all in Christ, that we're all in the boat with Him. If you leave this place or God stops your heart right where you're sat, that you'll be ushered into the presence of Christ. It's my prayer. It's my prayer for you constantly. 
is what I desire most in life. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you've rung the bell. Maybe you need to come back and ask for forgiveness. If you need Christ, there'll be somebody here that shows you how. If you need to pray, pray right where you sit. Don't put it off. Deal, deal with your heart with God this morning. Lord, I love you and I thank you for my friends. These people that I love. And Lord, we got to be honest. We got to be honest with you. We got to be honest with each other. Life's not a picnic. We have sin nobody knows about but you. That don't make it right. We need to confess it, repent of it, and move on. And some of our sin, Lord, is we are so entrenched in the mud, we are up to our nose, neck and body submerged. It's almost like quicksand. You just hope you don't go under and suffocate. Lord, you can pull us up out of there. You can clean us up, set us on dry ground on safe ground, and you'll walk with us. And I hope, Lord, that there are others in this place this morning would come around us and help us along the way. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So right now, Father, I just pray that we're obedient to you, sweet Holy Spirit, for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.